Good evening, humans. Welcome to another episode of the Bedtime Stories podcast with Jessie Jones. Every week, I give you a strange and possibly disgusting fact about a strange and possibly disgusting place, horrify you with an awful idea from the history books, tell you what's weird and wonderful in the headlines, and finally tell you a very disturbing bedtime story. Lock your doors, close the windows, and tuck yourself into bed nice and tight. By the time we're through, you'll need to clutch your blanket as you continue to contemplate the bleakness of human existence until 3 a.m. So here we go, your strange and disgusting tale about a strange and disgusting place. There are many horror plots you'd naturally associate with Japan. Giant monsters, tentacles, underwear vending machines, you get the picture. You wouldn't necessarily include the ghost ship story in that list, which is why Japan, being Japan, has taken that classic horror trope and cranked it up to levels never previously thought possible. Instead of the traditional account where a ship is found with its crew mysteriously missing, Japan has opted for a version where mysterious boats full of decomposing and mutilated corpses keep washing up on the country's shores. The boats turn up with alarming regularity, complete with a plentiful supply of decomposed corpses to bring some extra gore to the tale. One of the boats has been connected to a unit of North Korea's army, and when you consider North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's insistence on fishing as a source of food and foreign income, a plausible theory for the origin of the corpse boats begins to emerge. It's likely that these are North Korean ships and crew risking life and limb in order to catch a few kippers and thereby please the great leader. Now it's time to examine an awful idea from the history books. In 1881, Alfred Southwick dreamed up the idea of the electric chair after hearing the story of an intoxicated man who touched a live electric generator. Given that the man died so quickly, Southwick concluded that electricity could be used as a humane alternative to hanging for executions, which at times didn't always go according to the book, meaning the condemned would have to be revived and re-executed. The first iteration of Southwick's idea was for euthanizing stray dogs at his local animal shelter. Yeah, I'll just let the horror of that sentence sink in fully for a second. Within a year, he was publishing his ideas on using the electrocution method for capital punishment in scientific journals. As Southwick was a dentist who was accustomed to performing procedures on subjects in chairs, his device for electrical execution appeared in the form of an electric chair. 
I just threw that fact in there to make your next trip to the dentist more enjoyable. Before the state of New York accepted Southwick's suggestion, a board of reformers reviewed and finally rejected 34 other proposed methods which could replace hanging, ranging from blowing the condemned up with cannons to throwing them off a cliff. Oh, also impalement, fire, boiling, crushing with a giant mortar and pestle. The very first electric chair guinea pig, William Kemmler, took four minutes to die, prompting screams of horror from witnesses. His corpse was hot to the touch for hours afterward. Good thing we condemned this awful idea to the trash bag of history, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Today the chair is still used in a handful of US states that are unusually fond of the stench of burning hair. Between the reported cases of exploding heads, the sizzling flesh, the blood spurting out of various orifices, and the botched procedures that can sometimes drag out over 15 minutes, the electric chair looks set to delight and excite family and friends of the condemned for years to come. Now, for the weirdest story making the headlines this week, we turn our attention to a cat in Bristol, UK, which came home last week after an all-night bender with a plastic bag full of hard drugs. According to Avon and Somerset Police, the cat's owner found the cat fast asleep curled up next to a plastic bag full of small packs of white and lilac powder, suspected to be A-class drugs. In what's widely considered to be a dick move, he then called the police to snitch on his own cat. This brings up a whole new level of speculation about what cats really get up to when they go out at night. Also, if there's any chance of buying heroin off the street from a feline drug dealer, that makes me infinitely more likely to visit Bristol in the near future. Good thing the owner never found the duffel bag full of illegal firearms the cat left under the stairs on Saturday. Now it's time for the segment you've presumably been waiting for, a bedtime story that will make sure you never sleep again. This week, we look at the case of the acid bath murderer, otherwise known as John George Hay. Hay murdered at least six people between 1944 and 1949, and used sulfuric acid to get rid of their remains. A true pioneer in serial killer circles. Olivia Duran Deacon, the 69-year-old widow of a solicitor, lived at the Onslow Court Hotel in London when she met fellow hotel tenant John George Hay. Duran Deacon and Hay became friendly enough for her to know that he worked as an engineer and for him to know that she was absolutely loaded. She made an appointment to meet Hay on February 18, 1949 at his workshop in West Sussex to discuss an idea about artificial fingernails. Not even going to ask. She was last seen alive the day of her meeting with Hay, wearing a fur coat and carrying a red purse. Duran Deacon's friends at the Onslow Court Hotel were worried when they didn't see her for a couple of days. On February 20th, Constance Lane, a friend of the widow, went to the Chelsea police station in London to report her missing. 
Cheekily, Hay even accompanied Lane to the police station when she made her report. The police sensed that something was off with Hay, and they searched both his hotel room and his workshop on Leopold Road in Crawley. They came across a dry cleaning receipt for a woman's fur coat and papers referring to people named McSwan and Henderson in Hay's hotel room. At Hay's workshop, the police found a container used to hold acid, comically known in acid bath murdering circles as a carboy, plus a steel drum, a pump, and a revolver. Dr. Keith Simpson, a pathologist from Scotland Yard, searched Hay's workshop to retrieve what was left of Duran Deacon and to find more evidence. Simpson identified finely spattered bloodstains on one of the walls of the workshop and a puddle of yellowish-white sludge on the side of the building. He suspected that the pool was all that was left of Duran Deacon. Simpson and his team removed about 475 pounds of soil in and around the sludge, which they sieved to retrieve human remains and other evidence. They discovered about 28 pounds of human body fat, a partial left foot, 18 human bone fragments from the heel and spinal column, three human gallstones, a complete set of dentures for upper and lower jaws, and a handle to a red purse. Hay was then charged with the widow's murder on March 2, 1949. The subsequent investigation and trial revealed Hay's motive. When police looked into Hay's background, they learned he was a thief who was in and out of jail for fraud between 1936 and 1943. Investigators also discovered that several of his friends had disappeared between 1944 and 1949. One of those friends was William McSwan, his former employer who had gone missing in 1944. Hay confessed to police that he killed McSwan in September of that year, immersed the body in sulfuric acid and poured the dissolved remains down a drain. Afterward, to add insult to injury, he moved into his house. To avoid suspicion, he told McSwan's parents, Donald and Amy, that McSwan had run off to avoid serving on the front in World War II. But his parents started to doubt Hay's story when the war ended and McSwan failed to return. Hay then murdered McSwan's parents in July 1945 when he was no longer able to deflect suspicion. He sold off the McSwan family property and possessions and even cashed their pension checks for a time. After the McSwan murders, Hay moved to London, taking up residence at the Onslow Court Hotel. Hursley Products in Crawley hired him as an engineer. The owner even leased him the company storeroom on Leopold Road for his personal use. It was there that Hay murdered and disposed of the rest of his victims. Hay was able to live off the ill-gotten McSwan money for a couple of years, but when those funds ran out, he decided to kill again. In February 1948, Hay lured Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife, a couple he had befriended, to his workshop in Crawley. He shot them, dissolved their bodies in acid, and sold off their belongings. A year later, Hay was once again overdrawn at the bank and owed the Onslow Court Hotel money for his room. It was around this time that he plotted the murder of Duran Deacon. 
On February 18, 1949, Hay picked his prey up from the Onslow Court Hotel and drove her to his workshop to discuss her artificial fingernail idea. He shot her, placed her body in a 45-gallon steel drum, then pumped it full of sulfuric acid. In the days after the murder, he took her coat to the cleaners and tried to sell her jewellery. Four days later, there was very little left of Durand Deacon, so he dumped the sludge from the steel drum in the yard of his workshop. Hay confessed to killing nine people, but police could only confirm six murders. Although he attempted to defend himself with a claim of insanity, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Hay was hanged at Wandsworth Prison in London on August 10, 1949. Disposal of human remains in acid is still used today by killers. In 2016, a man in Mexico City was accused of murdering his Tinder date and dissolving her body in hydrochloric acid. Also in 2016, a man from Tennessee was accused of murdering his parents and attempting to use an acidic solution to get rid of the bodies. That's the end of the story and the end of this podcast. But don't worry, towards the end of the week, just when you start getting a good night's sleep again, the Bedtime Stories podcast will return. And the vicious cycle of insomnia and wondering why you ever subscribed to this podcast in the first place will resume once more. You are subscribed, right? Join me, Jessie Jones, next week for more gut-wrenching facts and spine-chilling tales in this dark, dark little corner of the universe. If you're brave